Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Leadership Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogue, and I'm joined with the one, the only, Roman and endless supply of energy, Johnson. What's up, everybody? It is great to be here on this beautiful, sunshiny day. Uh, in, uh, I'm sitting in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, and it's actually not beautiful and sunshiny. It's dark outside because this is evening time when we're recording. But in my heart, it is sunshining uh, because I'm excited to be here. Is it ever dark in your heart, Roman? I feel like it's always sunshine in your heart. Um, when you moved away, there was a little bit of darkness Aww. that just made its way in there, but I immediately cast it out like a leper. <laughs> you're you're just such a such a constant ball of positivity. Hey, thanks, man. That's uh, when I wake up in the morning, I say, "How can I be a constant ball of positivity?" That's what I say every day. <laughs> I phrase it like that in that weird way that you just did. Listen, you. Um, hey, this is a great day because this episode's 70. Oh 70, my gosh, 70, 70 episodes? 70 oh, episodes. I've never seen is... 70 of anything. Really? That's not true. There's probably 70 books like in this room with me right now. I was going to say, you've never had like $70 in your hand? <laughs> 70 cents? Like, I feel, I feel like... <laughs> I don't feel like that's really all that much. That's funny. Yeah. Hey, 70 episodes. That's exciting. Yeah. I, I was trying to like stall for just a second so I could pull the number of overall plays and downloads. We're about to break 40,000 downloads of this right. show. Right. That's, that's fantastic. That's pretty cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys and gals out there that are listening to this. Um, one longtime listener is, uh, is Roman's mother. She uh, is. She loves the episode. She's probably listening right now. Hey, mom. And, and, yeah, Elaine. Thank you for listening. And my sister Carrie. Uh, she is a. She's also a regular listener. She is a professional educator in the great city of Decatur, Illinois. Um, she is a principal there, and she finds ways to apply. The, we were talking about this on the last episode. She finds ways to apply the principles from the show uh, to what she does. And yeah, my so, mom is definitely not a church planter or in ministry, yeah. uh, paid ministry of any kind. And she she loves it, applies the the knowledge she gets on here every day. And you said it was actually an episode of the show that inspired her to start a business. She, Yep, it inspired her to start a business. She's taken steps, uh, and uh, I think she's going to be very successful with it. And I'm excited to see what happens. I agree with that. Elaine, thank you. And uh, I'm so glad that this show was able to inspire you to do that. That is amazing. We, we should have you on the show and talk about this business. We, we would love to do that. And Carrie, you the same. Uh, I've actually already invited her on the show. We've just got to actually get it recorded. Oh, yeah. So enough about that. Enough about that. Uh, uh, Roman, what, uh, what, are, what, are you, what are you most excited about right now? Mm, what am I most excited about right now? Uh, I'm about to go, uh, I'm working a little bit late tonight and I'm about to go drink a cup of coffee. It's going to be delicious. I, have, I make my own, I have, I have my own uh, coffee grinder. I grind my own beans, put it in the AeroPress and it's really, it's got delicious notes of flavor. Uh, and it's a, it's better than Folgers. It's like a good, good <laughs> cup of coffee. I'm pretty excited about it. Does it take much to be better than Folgers? No, but it is a, it's from a local roastery that I got these oh. beans. Uh, like some good beans. How about you? What are you excited about right now? 
Uh, you know, well, I have to point out real quick that at least East Coast time, it's almost one o'clock in the morning and you're going to go drink a cup of coffee. So it's midnight your time and you're going to go drink a cup of coffee. You got to do what you got to do. The hustle. That's on. true. That's true. Uh, what am I most excited about right now? That is a great question. Um, you know, we're, we're trying some new things at the church out here on the East Coast. Uh, I recently uh, took over helping out with the worship department, and that is uh, that's brand new for me. Uh, I've I've never done that before. So, what's your favorite worship song of all time? Ooh, you know, I'm gonna go. Man, I there's some way back that are good. Like "Shout to the Lord" is always a good one. Mm. Um, it's a Hillsong original. It is. A, it is a Hillsong like their original. first record they ever put out. Is it really? Yeah, it is. I did not know that. I did not know that. Um, but, you know, I think my my favorite, my favorite song um, is still Oceans. I love that song. Mm. Um, and I've had, you know, I've had a couple of moments where, like, you know, just worshiping and I, God really, I felt like spoke to me. And so that song has a very special place in my heart. That's cool. Love that song. Love that song. Uh, how about you? Keep the Candle Burning by Point of Grace. No question. I don't know if you're being serious right now or not, but you were able to rattle that off so fast. Have you listened to that song lately? Not lately. It's awesome. You just just crank it and just sing it. Just sing it, man. <laughs> Keep the candle burning. I love it. I love when you're it. Walking through the dead of night and the world is turning. Mm. And then it just keeps going from there. But you know, you get uh. the idea. I, I do. I do. That's amazing. Uh, well, hey, folks, like I said, this episode 70 of the Leadership Podcast. I'm joined with, actually, this one's really cool for me, uh, a friend of mine, Dan Matlock. This is a guy I grew up with. We went to church together growing up, went through youth group together, um, and then went our separate ways after high school. He went off and uh, uh, went to master's commission up in Rockford, Illinois, and ended up uh, on staff there and kind of running the show, I believe. And then uh, went and planted a church in San Marcos, Texas, uh, called Icon Church. And just the stories that he tells of his process through church planting are amazing. Um, and, and like I said before, we're in a little mini-series here on church planting. We had Kyle Turner on the last episode, uh, Dan Matlock on this one, and then Eric Lawson is going to be on the next episode, all talking about planting churches. And so, uh, man, Dan just talks a ton about getting involved and serving your community and the impact that it's had not only on the community, but on them as a church. It's fascinating. And so uh, stick around for that. That's coming up here in just a moment. Roman, uh, before we get to the interview, I feel like we've got to remind everyone, like, how do we do the show? Uh, yeah, it's a little website called creativesheep.org. And that is, uh, that's, that's who uh, this podcast is brought to you by. And uh, full disclosure, that is our company, Jared and I. Uh, so uh, if you want to go check that out, creativesheep.org, we create premium media for the church. Also, you can find show notes for this episode and every other episode uh, there on that on that website. So that's, that's how that is done. <laughs> so folks, make sure to check that out over at creativesheep.org. Um, and I think without further ado, let's get to today's interview on episode 70 with Dan Matlock. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's an absolute honor to get to connect with you again, man. Absolutely. It's my honor, man. I appreciate you, uh, invite me on here. Absolutely. So, Hey, let's, uh, let's jump right in here. Let's give everyone a little bit of backstory here. Um, like who is Dan Matlock and how'd you get to where you are today and what are you doing? 
Yeah, uh, I ask myself that question all the time. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm originally from the Midwest, uh, from central Illinois. I uh, grew up in cornfields and soybeans. Part of a great church, great family. Um, in fact, the very same church that you're from, Jared. Yep. Uh, we grew up knowing each other, same high school. And uh, after that, went up to northern Illinois. I went to school. I was a part of a great church, Rockford First, now City First Church. I was with them for several years, met my wife Kelly there. Uh, after that, I uh, got a job at an awesome church in Austin, Texas. Uh, loved it, fell in love with the area, fell in love with Texas. And uh, it was really in Texas, in Austin, that I first felt that call to plant a church. Mm. Didn't know what it would look like or where it would be or any of those things. Just felt like that might be something uh, in my future at some point. And I uh, didn't feel like I was ready quite yet. And I uh, got a call from uh, my friend and pastor up in Northern Illinois at Rockford at the church that I was at previously. And he had just become the lead pastor and asked if I would come back up there and help them with some transitions for things. And felt like that would be a good in-between uh, interim job before we planted. So I called him and said, hey, what if we give you just a handful of years before we plant the church and worked out perfect. So went back up there uh, through that whole process. Uh, ended up with, uh, we've got four kids, wow. 12, 10, six, six and two. We don't play around. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we swing for the fences. We thought we were done at three. Whoa. And then after the fourth, we said, yeah, we're definitely done. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I, I uh, have to ask real quick right there. Is it like a Craig Rochelle yeah. thing? Like you, you actually like kids or you just really like your wife? No, just like Craig Rochelle, actually, it, just like he says, I, it's my wife's problem. She just can't keep her hands off me. That's I, you know, I, I totally resonate when he says he just wants to cuddle and she, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I totally. So all her fault. I blame Kelly. That's awesome. So four kids yeah. later, holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I, I take that back. Actually the fourth kid, uh, he was born while we were planting. So, Whoa. uh, we, we uh, ended up uh, feeling like God was leading us to plant, didn't know where or when, and that's a whole story in itself, but landed back in uh, Texas, uh, south of Austin, in between Austin and San Antonio, and uh, then had Landon. And that was, man, in the middle of planting and uh, all the financial uh, issues and uh, struggles that come with that, uh, decided to have another kid because life wasn't interesting enough. So... <laughs> Nothing yeah. like a good challenge there. Holy cow. So, oh, that's right. Exactly. So landed in, when, when did you, at, like, what year did you hit the ground in San Marcos? Yeah, we got here in the summer of 2012. So we got here uh, June, July, 2012. Uh, and we, we decided, we spent the first about a year and a half just serving our community. And we said, you know, we before we ever have church, we just want to be the church. So what would it look like for us just to be the church in our community and spent that first year and a half serving. And then fall 2013 ended up officially launching with services. Wow. So now it wasn't just, well, I, I would say that you and Kelly and your four kids, that's a pretty big team already, but it, <laughs> it wasn't just the six of you. Like you guys had quite the crew go with you, right? We did. We did. Yeah. We had a great launch team. Uh, I, I tell people who are planting that's one of the most important things is build a team around you. And I feel like every, any church planter I talk to, when you talk to businesses and CEOs, they always talk about uh, an unfair advantage. And I feel like every planter somewhere has an unfair advantage. Maybe 
the lead pastor is just killer at web and graphics. So from day one, they've got this awesome stuff. And for us, I really feel like our unfair advantage was our team. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I could not have done it without them. And when people ask, how did you build a team? We came down with about 20, 25 people. Uh, they were all uh, about, I'd say probably kind of that post-college age, anywhere from 21, 22 to 26, 27. Uh, we had a few old people on the team that were like 28. Uh, I mean, it, it really was a really young team. Yeah. And the upside of that, the upshot is uh, they were vast majority were single, no kids. So the amount of time and energy they had to invest into this was huge. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and really how we built that team, it was just relationship through the years. I've been a part of multiple kind of discipleship gap year type programs. Uh, for people just getting out of high school. And it was really through those programs that I developed these relationships through the years. And that really is the core of who made up that team. So it wasn't that I had some great pitch. It wasn't that I had a ton to offer. Uh, It wasn't like we had some sweet deal down here in Texas. It was just those relationships through years of investment. And in fact, I, I laugh now looking back, my pitch to every single one of them, I told them, hey, listen, Uh, I'm going to be moving to Texas to plant the church and I'd like to invite you to come be a part of the launch team. And here's what I can't promise you. I can't promise you a job. I can't promise you pay. I can't promise you a place to live. Uh, I can't promise you even that someday you'll have a job. I can't even promise you that this thing will, will happen. Like that we'll be able to do this successfully. But what I can promise you is that we're going to go down there and we're going to give it our best shot to start a church from the ground floor, <laughs> grassroots. We're going to give it everything. What do you think? And either we've got a lot of dumb people or <laughs> I don't know what it was, but man, every one of them were like, I'm in. I count me wow. in. I can't wait. So that was uh, that was uh, really a huge thing for us is getting that team when we came down. Holy cow. That's amazing. Um, so just out of curiosity, in, in is uh, like how many you're three and a half years in now, I guess. I guess you said the church like was born three and a half years ago. Like you had your first services three and yeah. a half years ago, right? Yeah. So you've yeah. actually been there then now five years. Um, how many five of those years. of those twenty to twenty five people are still with you? Oh man, uh, almost all, all wow. except for yeah, it, yeah. It's been, uh, and again, it just speaks to the relationship that we've had no through the years before we ever came down here, um, and, and it just. I mean, we had people move from Baltimore, from Colorado, from because everyone had gone their separate ways. Yeah. And some of them were still uh, in Rockford, where I was at the time before I came down. Um, but they kind of came from wherever and uprooted their lives and quit jobs and uh, moved here. And uh, I think all but one, two, maybe maybe three, three, I think, have, have moved on uh, since, since launch, but yeah, the vast majority, some of them are, uh, some of them are on staff, some are elders, uh, some are just volunteers and they just serve here at the church. That's incredible, man. Um, so let's, let's talk about the 18 months prior to the church planting. Um, I love what you said there that let, before we ever have church, let's go be the church. Um, and, um, it's kind of watching you guys from a distance. I've been able to see you guys do this, which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. But like, tell us about those, that first 18 months, like you hit the ground in San Marcos, you've got these 20 to 25 people looking at you like, all right, now what, 
Um, and so mm-hmm. like, what, what are some things that you guys did to, as you said, be the church? Yeah, for us, when we got down there, one of the things that we did uh, before we ever came down, when we were meeting in my living room, uh, we were, we were, uh, I remember we'd have these conversations and we talk about what it would be like to go to some foreign country and be a missionary. And we really had some positive influences talking to us because there were some people that said, Hey, you need to get down there and launch as quick as possible to become viable as quick as possible to start getting income in. And, uh, and then we had some other people, a friend of mine, Jesse, who really was the one that kind of launched us, uh, called us to come down there, him along with some other people. There's a great network called the verge network. Uh, Austin stone is a great church in Austin, uh, that was a part of that and really talked about what it means to live a missional life. And, so we just talked to the team and said, what would it be like if we were going, I remember, if we were going to Papua New Guinea, what would we do? You know, if we could find a job that you were making bank, but you were never around people, would you take that job or would you take a lower paying job that puts you around the indigenous people mm-hmm. in Papua New Guinea? And we said, yeah, you, you take the lower paying job. And we said, okay, if we found this killer, you know, housing complex that we could all live at, we all live in the same place because it's the cheapest, it's the best, it's the but we're always around ourselves. Would, would we do that? Or do we try to spread out in the city and meet different people and meet different people in our community? And we said, yeah, we'd spread out. We talked about the jobs we'd get. The reason we'd get those jobs isn't to pay our bills, but to leverage those jobs for the mission, for the fact that we're there on mission. And everything we talked about was framed around the idea of what if we were going to be a missionary? And then we moved down here and we said, Okay, we've talked about it. Now let's let's do it. Let's be missionaries. So as every time we got together as a team, I'd ask them questions about, okay, tell me about your friends that don't care about Jesus, that don't care about church. Who are your friends that are completely unchurched? Your your lost friends, what are their names? Tell me their stories. Your friends with them, would they say that you're their friend? And and it just it became a part of our culture, a part of our life. And uh, we just we said, this is what's going to be important to us. So we said, okay, then now that we've got these friends, what does it look like to, to be the church, to serve them? Uh, I remember my, one of my first friends, when I moved into my apartment complex, the guy that lived above me, a guy named Dave. And Dave was about the furthest thing from Jesus. Uh, he was a tattoo artist, which I've got tattoos, so I, I, we became quick friends. And, uh, but more than that, he was a self-professed Satanist. I mean, he would, he would say and, and did say that he was a Satanist and he had his pentagram tattoos and hats and pins and different things. And uh, we became really, really good friends. And it was kind of this odd couple sort of thing. And I remember he invited me up every Friday. He would have friends over and, uh, and they would kind of play this card game, kind of like poker and, uh, and gamble and that sort of thing. And I remember he invited me up and I remember sitting in my apartment thinking, should I go upstairs with my Satanist friend who they're all going to get trashed tonight and gamble for the gospel? Like, should, like what would you, in this moment? And I remember thinking they didn't have this class in Bible school. And uh, I, I took out as a poor church planner, I took out $20 and I said, okay, I would go out with a buddy of mine and spend 20 bucks at a movie and dinner. And so God, I'm going to use this to go up and to hang out with these guys and that $20 lasted me probably six months. Every Friday, we'd go up, hang out. And the best part was, is as the night went on and they drank more and more, they got really bad at the game. So it was good for me. So as long as I could hang in there, I'd be okay. Because they uh, 
started making poor decisions as the night went on. So <laughs> it was things like that. Yeah. Uh, just finding lost friends and saying, where would Jesus go? What would he do? And, and doing those things. And there were other things we did to get plugged into the community and get engaged and for the community to get to know us. Um, but it started with our friends and, and who those people were. Wow. Man, I love some of those questions that you guys were asking. And it sounds like from the start, you were just very, very intentional with uh, like, mm -hmm. like even with, like you said, with where these people were going to live. So when you 25 yeah. move into San Marcos, like literally people are moving to different parts of the city in very intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. We wow. looked and we said, Hey, listen, it, it, we didn't want it to be one of those things where somebody finds some great deal in an apartment and say, Hey, I got the cheapest deal in town. Everyone move here. It was, no, we need to spread out. We need to be, and there's people that wanted to be close to the campus. There's a, uh, Texas state university is in San Marcos. Uh, when we got here, it was about 28,000 students. Now it's about 38,000 students. Wow. Uh, and for a town of 50,000, yeah, that's a huge percentage. Uh, and, and that, <laughs> I take that back. That 30,000 doesn't include the 50,000. It's kind of an additional that comes in. They don't count that in the census. Yeah. But that's still just a huge percentage. So there's people that want to be close to campus. There are people that were on the south side of town, on the north side of town, just kind of on different areas. And uh, yeah, we really did our best to try to be intentional and think through those things. Wow. That's incredible, man. So then, so like this stuff, I love what you're saying. And I can already hear somebody out there like, I can't believe a pastor would go gamble and hang out with people that are drinking. And <laughs> you people just need to calm down, like just chill. Um, because that, yeah. like, when you look at what Jesus did, he did that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. so I, I love that. And that's like a one really practical thing. Like you just developed a relationship with somebody that was in your proximity. Like you weren't even necessarily yeah. like going into the community. This is a dude that just lived upstairs from you. Um, and yep. so really, I mean, would it be accurate to say like you just, like your head was on a swivel, like you were looking for those opportunities? Oh yeah. Yeah. And when, you know, when you go there and I think it's the challenge now is when I talk to the staff and when I talk to the team that now we're years into this and we've got a building now and we've got all these trappings of a quote unquote real church. We, we bought chairs. When you buy chairs, you're a real church. <laughs> that's, that's the line I think. And uh, like, we've got all those things. So the challenge now is to not lose that heart. No, we still need to have our head on a swivel. Oh, we still need to be missional. We still need to look around our community. We still need to live this way. And, and my biggest fear was, is I don't want to get in the four you know, walls of a church and lose that. I, that's why I planted is I realized, man, I'm always around other Christians. Mm. When I look at the life of Jesus, he was always around other people. And sure, he was discipling people. And sure, he went to the synagogues. But he was bumping into people at wells and talking about life. And he was going to where people were being mistreated. And I just, I, I didn't want to lose that. So I think the challenge now is, how do we continue to do that? Mm. How do we not lose those values that we had then? How do we still live that way now? Man, that's amazing. And I definitely want to get to that. But let's, let's, uh, let's stay in that first 18 months for just a minute. So you're, yeah. you're one of the things like looking for those opportunities. But beyond that, did you guys, did you guys do stuff? And I'm just real curious, like the practical side of this, like, what are some mm -hmm. things you guys did as a team? Like, all right, this Friday, mm -hmm. we're doing fill in the blank. Like, what are some things like that yeah. that you guys did to just go and, and, and to be the church? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, this is so, that's a great question because we did, we said, okay, we've got these friends. Now we, we have to actually be the church. We have to do what the church did take care of each other's needs and all of those things. One of the things that we did, uh, you know, when we got here, we didn't know anybody. And so we wanted to be very intentional to get to know individuals, uh, like you said, that were on our radar in our proximity, but also get to know the community at large. Uh, so I did as many things as I could to, to jump into that. And because we had a church that sent us kind of an initial gift, uh, that it allowed me to be full-time from day one. And that was a huge blessing that I realized a lot of planters don't get now, uh, full-time. I used that pretty liberally, uh, because it wasn't a whole lot of money. We had to do some things on the side. I had to have some high side hustles. Uh, but it allowed me to meet with people in the city. And one of the things that we did and, uh, and this isn't like church planning 101. Like there, I didn't get this in some book. I didn't get this. It just dropped in our laps. We, there was a, a networking group, a business networking group that was just getting started that one of our team members heard about that they got invited to. So I didn't know what this thing was. I showed up. It ended up being a part of the Chamber of Commerce. So we mm. joined the Chamber of Commerce and I show up at this networking group. And one of their goals was to get business owners around other business owners to get to know each other and to, it was a a referrals. It was a leads group to pass leads and referrals to each other. So as it's starting, I'm, I'm just showing up there as a church planner. We don't even have services. So as far as like inviting people, there's nothing to invite people to. (laughs) So they're going around talking about their business and what a good referral for them would be, you know? So, you know, the apartment locator, the realtor is saying, Hey, a school starts, people are going to be looking for new places to live. So if you hear a college student or someone moving to the area, let me know. That'd be a great lead for me right now. And it's coming around to me and I'm going, what? I'm a church. Like, this is a business group. Like, what? What? Is, and I, I literally, I'm thinking, I'm like, a good lead for me is if you know someone with a soul. Like, I don't know. Like, where do I, where do I go with this? And it's coming around and, and it just hit me. I said, well, why are we here? We're here to serve. So I looked at it as the reverse. So it came around to me and I said, I'm here. We're going to be starting a church. And really we believe that the church is here to serve people. And our name, we have a weird name. Our name is uh, icon E I K O N. And I explained that icon means image. And we believe one, first and foremost, every single person is created in God's image. So they have inherent dignity, uh, the respect, and everyone's welcome at icon, but also we're to represent God in our community. The church exists to show the community what God is like. And we believe God's good. So frankly, we're here to do good. So if you know of any needs in our community, if you know of any opportunities to serve where something or someone is needed, we're here. And that's why we're here. And if you, so if you have a referral like that, call me. And I just, some of those people, I think probably, especially early on, but we are still reaping the benefits of this. Our church grew more because of that networking group and the chamber of commerce than probably anything else we did early on. And it's, it's so weird because I I wouldn't, I mean, sure. Yeah. You should join your chamber and get to know your community, but it wasn't, it wasn't some part of some strategy that I created. It, I asked God, I believe you're moving. Give me eyes to see where you're moving and an opportunity presented itself. And I said, well, sure. Why wouldn't I want to get to know people? So it, it wasn't like, Oh man, Dan's really smart to join the chamber. Oh, like I'm really pretty dumb. It just fell in my lap. So we just looked for ways at my kid's school. 
we went to the school and said, hey, we're a part of starting a church. If you ever have any need, if there's any kids in the in your school that have need, let us know. And I remember early on, I still have the documents on my computer for this. They came to me and told me about this little girl who, because of some situations with her family coming here, uh, she didn't qualify for state or federal aid. Um, but this little girl was deaf. And oh. they finally got a doctor to see her and realized that there was nothing wrong with her inner ear. She had been sick and had so many ear infections that her ear canal had, was completely clogged and she was, she was going deaf. And all she needed was tubes in her ears. Something that is, if my kids have that problem, that's a simple procedure. It, and it's a no brainer. Yeah. Put tubes in their ears so your child can actually hear, but because of some financial situations with her family and some, how she got here and different things, she didn't qualify for that. And they said, she needs $1,500 for the surgery. We have a doctor that'll do it. Uh, we need $1,500 for this girl to hear. And I sat there going, okay, if this is not something that Jesus would do, then I don't know what is. Yeah. So before I knew how we'd pay for it, I said, yes, we'll do it. We'll find a way done. And then I remember going back to the team and saying, so we don't have $1,500. And for us at that time, it, it could have been $15,000. I mean, there was just, we just didn't have the money and put stuff on social media and reached out to old friends and churches and got the money and paid for this little girl's surgery. And I remember talking to her afterwards, asking her what it's like. And she said, the lunchroom is really loud. <laughs> you know, she just had been so, couldn't hear for so long. That was the first thing that stood out oh, to her. Man. And it was just this awesome, like, yes, like this, this is what the church is. This is what we're supposed to. And no, it's not just that, but I'm telling you the doors that that opened at that school, the opportunities that that brought us, they later came to us and said, Hey, there's this one church that's doing this after school uh, Bible program. Could you come to this other school and start a Bible program at a public school for these elementary age kids? And again, I'm thinking, who, what school comes to a church and says, hey, would you come and teach our kids about Jesus after school? And so before we ever had services, we were running an after school program called Kids Rock Club uh, for two years. Before we ever had services, we had a kids church program. And it, again, opened more and more doors to, to share the gospel with families and people and gave us inroads in the community. And that networking group grew and grew. And this is a testament to the team uh, and what God has done through them. Uh, but we've been named, uh, this year we were named the best nonprofit in Hayes County. Um, and again, this isn't because of me. It really is because the team, all they did, I just got here first. Mm -hmm. So I get some of the accolades just because I showed up first. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was named best civic leader in Hayes County. Uh, we put on an event every year, a uh, helicopter egg drop uh, that was named best community event. And, and those things happened just because we showed up early and we just said, how can we serve? And what can we do to just be the church? Wow. So now moving forward, um, so you launch the church uh, a couple years after you mm -hmm. get there. Um, do you keep mm -hmm. this kind of thing going? Like, is this still a core part of what your church is? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we said, we want this to frame everything we do. We want this to be the lens that we look at life through. So we've tried to continue to do that. One of the things that we, uh, we've done since day one that again, kind of came out of this is we looked at, 
we looked at the early church and, and not to say, and I know a lot of people talk about that and I'm not saying that, gosh, we have so many problems. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. We've got lots of issues. Um, but we looked at it and we said, okay, we don't live in an agrarian culture anymore. We don't live in these, you know, communities that are very tight knit. We're spread out a lot more, you know, so there's going to be a lot of things that are different, but what are things that happened that we can do? How can we translate it? And one of the things that we did is I remember sitting at my dining room table fighting over this as a staff and just going, do we do this? And what are the unintended consequences? And what if this and what if that? Um, but we decided when we take our offering, we kind of give the normal offering talk. Uh, but then we say, but listen, we know there's people in this room that you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You don't know how you're going to keep your lights on. You don't know how you're going to pay for groceries. And if that's you in this room and you don't know how you're going to do that, as the offering buckets pass by, if there's any loose cash in there, take that cash out and use it for those needs because we want first and foremost to take care of the people in this room. And we've done that from day one. We still do that every single Sunday. And, you know, you might think like, oh, that's a gimmick and people don't actually do it. We have had multiple people come up and talk to us and say, hey, I want to make sure I took money out, but are you sure that's okay? Are you sure I can do that? We say, yeah, in fact, let, let's talk. And is there a way that we can better serve you? Because we don't, we don't want to just give the handout. Sometimes people need that. Yeah. Uh, but we want to create relationship with those people further on. And we also say, hey, listen, if you see someone reach in, then that's God telling you, you probably need to meet with them afterwards and take them out to lunch and wow. get to know them and find out ways you can serve them. And, and I, that's just been on multiple fronts. That's helped, that's helped serve people. And that's also helped communicate our culture to people who are coming to our church. There's been people that have come in completely unchurched or they were de-churched and they said, I've never, I've, I've never seen that. I've never heard of a church doing that. Most of the time it's gimme, gimme. And that I just, I, I don't know what you guys believe, but this is awesome. I want to come back and hear more about this. So uh, we've really tried to frame uh, so much of what we do. And again, we fall so short and we, man, we, there's lots we do wrong, but we've really tried to continue that that value into our services and into what we do now. Wow, that's amazing, man. And you know, one thing, uh, just in our kind of our pre-conversation before this interview, there was something you said that really caught me. Um, and I, I've kind of even seen this just through creeping on you on social media, but it looks as though you guys are very relational, even with other churches that are very near to you. Is that like, like proximity wise, is that right? I mean, is that accurate? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, uh, in fact, last night I was uh, at our, uh, conference center in town for community wide prayer and worship night, uh, where we had, oh man, I don't even know how many churches, uh, just on the worship team alone, there were six different churches represented oh. on the worship team. Um, we did, uh, for good Friday, we had a community wide good Friday service where multiple churches came, uh, we reached out specifically to church plants because we, as a church plant that were set up and tear down before you got a building, we could never do extra stuff like services. Cause you had to figure out where you're going to rent from and what do you, you know, how, logistics. <laughs> so we reached out to other church plants and said, Hey, we just got this building and we want to leverage it. So you want to come and be a part of a community wide good Friday service. And, uh, a buddy of mine in town, uh, planted a church and, uh, they, when was that? They've probably been around for about a year. In fact, he, he just invited me. I'm a part of his board of his church. Wow. And uh, they, they had just launched. They were three or four weeks in. 
and they had a power outage at the school that they were meeting at and they couldn't have service. And I remember when you first start, you miss a Sunday and, and you may not make it because every offering is like keeping your lights on. It is vital. Yeah. And uh, he called me up and he said, Hey, it's, I don't know what we're going to do. We got nowhere to go. Can we just tell our people, Hey, go to icon. Can we join you this Sunday? And I said, absolutely. So they came their early church plant and I invited my friend Dom up on stage and I explained what happened. And I said, so today I want you guys all to give more money because what we're going to do is we're going to take half this offering and give it to them. Holy and God. because I remember what that was like, and, and it was our people again, they, man, they gave sacrificially and gave more. So he was still able to have an offering that Sunday and still able to continue. And wow. uh, I joined a, a part of a pastors in covenant group uh, here in town, uh, me and uh, five, six other pastors. And we got together once a month and just shared life. We couldn't promote church. We couldn't talk about uh, church in the sense of, oh, we're doing this or we're doing that. We shared life. And I told him about the struggles that my family was going through. I talked about looking at my kids and they say, why did God move us away from all of our friends? Why did God move us away from the awesome church we were at? And they were the only kids in our church before we had services. So kids church was my children and one of our team members. Uh, so I, I would go to them and man, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time with this. This is hard. I don't know what to say. I don't, you know, so those men, uh, are some of my closest friends here. So, uh, yeah, we are, we are intentionally close to other churches and I want more churches to get planted in this community. When I hear a church planner is coming, uh, I, I want to take them out, pay for their lunch, do anything I can, because that just, the kingdom wins. When the church went, there's only one church. So as that grows, as more churches grow, we all win. I remember being at a conference and uh, there's a guy named J.D. Greer was talking and he said, he felt like God hit him with this question. He said, because he was praying for life changing a city and for revival and all these things. And God said, what if I bring revival in your city, but it doesn't come through your church. It comes through somebody else's. Do you still want it? And I remember that question and it, it hit me because we all say yes, right? Like we know that's the Jesus answer. Like, oh, of course, Lord, but really it's, it's yes, but God, why can't it be through mine? You know, like, like I want it to be. And, and that really hit me. And I, I realized that, man, when, when churches win, whatever church it is, uh, we all win. So we've been very intentional about trying to build relationship with local churches in our community and serve alongside each other and network together, be friends, get coffee, uh, not compete. Uh, just, and, and again, we're not perfect. Mm. Um, but it's a whole lot easier when I'm sitting across coffee with someone and they're telling me about their life and marriage and kids and I'm praying for them. It's a whole lot easier to really be friends with them and really uh, root for them to win too. Man. I love that approach. That's that's so awesome because it's. I think it's too often. I think it's getting better, but I think it's been too often that it 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 has been competition in the church. That it's yeah. these yeah. are our people, not your people. Um, we're not going to work together. Like it's our church, and it's just. It, yeah. I love what you said. There's one church. That's it. There's one. Yeah. Um, yep. So through this process. One thing that I've noticed, again, this is from a distance, and you and I haven't even talked about mm -hmm. this, but it seems as though you guys place a premium on raising up leaders. Um, yeah. I, like, even very early on, I remember seeing other people than you uh, in the pulpit. I remember seeing you mm -hmm. 
And I mean, granted, through social media, it appears as though you're sitting on the front row snapping a photo. So you're still in the service um, and uh-huh. and being willing to listen and learn to someone that is, quote unquote, underneath you on an org chart. Um, do you think that that and first off, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if I'm going any directions here that, that are not accurate. Um, but with that, do you think that that process has helped enable you guys to grow the way that you have? Yeah, no, you're spot on. I, I think yes to all of those. Um, when we first came down, I had some pastors from other churches say, Dan, it needs to be, you know, you need to be the, the communicator of the vision. And I do, it needs to be your voice, you know, 50, 52 times a year. They need to hear from you. You can start working people in afterwards, but for the first year to two years, it needs to be your voice, your voice, your voice. And I looked at that and I just, and it was out of ignorance. Like I didn't have like, Oh, I disagree because of X, Y, and Z study. I just didn't want that. I, Mm. I don't want it to be the Dan show. I don't want it to be uh, a personality driven thing. I I love to speak. I I actually, I love the prep. I love that process. It's one of the, one of my favorite things I get to do, but I just, I didn't want that. And plus speaking 50 times a year sounds (laughs) exhausting. Like I don't, I'm not that good at content creation and I don't have 50 good messages in me. So it was also selfish. Like I just, I don't want that. And uh, so we said from day one, we're going to rotate. We're going to have a speaking team. We're going to rotate multiple communicators through. And our approximate rhythm is I'll speak about three weeks and then we'll have someone else speak. And then I'll speak about three weeks and then someone else. And there'll be times, uh, in fact, this Sunday, I'm not speaking. Our, uh, creative arts pastor, worship pastor. He's speaking this Sunday. Last Sunday, I didn't speak that Sunday either. Uh, our executive pastor, w- w- an incredible communicator, he spoke that Sunday. So I got two weekends off because leading up to Easter, I had about you know five weeks on, six weeks on, and uh, I just that's a great rhythm for me. I feel so good. I'll probably speak about thirty-five times this year, uh, and we've rotated through. My wife speaks. Uh, like I said, our worship pastor, uh, creative arts pastor, he'll speak. He does a great job. Our executive pastor, um, we, we got a, a new guy on staff, connections pastor that um, he's incredible. He were, he's going to speak this summer. Um, I had one pastor, another pastor in town when I posted one of those comments, because I also, uh, it's a value of ours, but I also want to communicate it. I want to celebrate them. So mm-hmm. when I'm sitting in the audience, yeah, I'm taking notes. I'm hitting up Instagram and Facebook and I'm posting, I'm saying, man, we've got the best team in the world. This is one of the best communicators. I love, I I want them to win. I want them to to develop those skills as well. I don't want it to be the Dan show. And I had one pastor in town. I made a comment saying that I was going to be on vacation the next week. And uh, a guy that's in our church was a former pastor came up to me and said, Oh man, you shouldn't have said that. Now no one's going to show up because you're not here and all this stuff. And the church didn't miss a beat. Like, it doesn't uh-huh. matter if it's me speaking or, yeah. and you know what? There's actually, there's people in our church that like, that like it when my wife speaks more or yeah. another guy on the team that they're, and you know what? That's fine with me. Yeah. And sure. Are there times that, you know, and, and again, I want to be honest, this isn't always easy when, when people just rave and rave and rave about one of our other communicators, is there a little part of me that goes, oh man, like, am I, am I that good? Like, do they think that? You know, and I have insecurities just like anybody, but I want to say, no, I want to celebrate that. I want to, I want that to happen because they have a voice that I don't have. 
and they're going to reach people that I can't reach. And we need different perspectives and we need different types of people and styles of speakers. And I don't want to have a church that, oh, they're the fiery ones or they're the real practical ones or they're the, I just, I want to have a variety of voices. So we've tried to do that from day one and, uh, and man, to the credit of our team, uh, have been able to do that from day one. That's amazing. Uh, I love that approach so much. So with this, um, so you've been 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 in San Marcus Marcus now for five years. You had your first service mm-hmm. three and a half years ago, and you were telling me beforehand that about eight months ago you got to move into uh, your first building, like your own building. Yeah. Um, you're no longer yeah. set up, tear down. Um, and you're telling me something really cool that happened through this, like the growth that you guys experienced in moving into that building. Um, if you would just, ta- we haven't really talked numbers at all yet, but I'd love for you to tackle mm-hmm. this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, like, like you said, we launched, uh, about three and a half years ago, fall of 2013 and, uh, started this little wedding venue, uh, that even that, uh, just, just a quick heads up on that. Uh, one practical thing that I want to tell people, um, man, if you feel like you're supposed to do something, just go for it, just do it and leave the results in God's hands. I, before we got that facility, uh, we had no place to go. We were three weeks away from our first preview service. I wanted to cancel the service. Uh, I talked to a coach of mine. We decided to draw a line in the sand. And if I was going to have service in the park, so be it. And, uh, and that day I'm driving home and I drive past this wedding venue I'd never seen it before. It was this crazy, awesome opportunity. And that's where we started. And again, it was because I said, nope, let's just, let's do it. No matter what the results look like. And, uh, so we, we started there and, uh, over, uh, you know, two and a half, three years, uh, grew the church. We were running about, uh, 220, 225. And I had moved from the wedding venue to a school, uh, still set up teardown. And, there's this building that's across the highway from where we started uh, at the wedding venue. It sits up on this hill. You can see it from the interstate. Uh, it's 14 acres of land uh, with a 20,000 square foot building. Just this incredible opportunity that, you know, that's like the church that you have when you, you know, you're a, a real big church, you know, a serious <laughs> church, not a church plant. And, uh, and I remember someone saying, Hey, why don't you go talk to the pastor? I hear he's trying to sell it. And, I talked to him and he might as well have been selling it for a hundred million dollars. I mean, there's just no way. I just kind of laughed and shook my head and thought about it. Like I could afford it and just, I don't know if that's the, you know, but just knew like I'm way out of my league here and um, crazy turn of events uh, ends up. He tells me that they're going to just let it get foreclosed on. And a realtor says, find out, you know, is it a local bank that owns it? Maybe we can work some deal out in the foreclosure process. And, I talked to him. We're a part of an association of churches, a a cooperative fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God. And uh, I went to him and said, hey, uh, you know, guys owned by a big national bank or, you know, local thing. And he said, "Ah, it's it's kind of church lending arm of this organization. You've probably never heard of it. They're called the Assemblies of God. And uh, I I almost passed out in that moment. And uh, I was like, I I think I might know those guys. I I might be able to make some calls. And uh, Man, through the process of a year, uh, we ended up uh, getting in here, we're leasing it, and we have an option to buy. And they've been so great at tiering our payments so that we can stair-step into it. But at the same time, uh, just to say, like, not that everything's perfect, uh, our expenses when we went into this building, we knew would more than triple, would more than triple from where we were at. 
And uh, we went to our trustees and this isn't a decision that I can make. It's, it's a decision our board of trustees has to make. And they just felt like all the providential things. And there's so many more than just the AG connection and them letting us get in here. I mean, any bank would laugh at us if we tried to get in here with, with the budget we had and 225 people. And um, they believed in us. And we looked at all the providential things and said, okay, I think this is God. You know, I feel like in Acts when they're like, it seemed right to them in the Holy Spirit. It seemed right to us. Uh, but it also could have been bad pizza. And <laughs> we got in. And, and overnight, overnight, this isn't like church growth strategy one-on-one. What we do? What was our marketing strategy? What were the flyers we sent out? We opened the doors. And we did some other things. But when we got in this building, we pretty much doubled overnight. We went from about 220, 225 to about 400 plus uh, overnight, just getting into this building. Wow. And, uh, and that, that increased complexities a ton. Uh, we knew, we knew we would grow. We knew that would happen. The, the, the uh, visibility of this church, the people, I mean, there's neighborhoods all around this building and they had seen construction happening for a year plus on this place. So they had seen it, they knew it. They, so we knew we'd grow. So our big conversations were, how do we take care of the people that are going to come? We took our small groups, uh, props to the, the girl on our team that runs all our small groups. She took our small groups and we were in the school uh, from, I believe we had eight small groups uh, to she created just under 20 small groups wow. uh, before we moved into this small group. I mean, we, we looked at the church and we talked about what it was like to plant and when you're on the launch team, you did everything. Like who was the kids team? It was a launch team. Yeah. Who's serving at this community thing is the launch team. Like you just, it's just who everyone is. And we told the church at that time, Hey, you're all now the launch team. Like all of you, we need more small groups. So I don't want you to get into a small group. I want you to lead one. Wow. Uh, I don't want you to start volunteering. I want you to be a volunteer team lead. I mean, it just all hands on deck and, uh, man, to their credit, uh, we've been able to the best of our ability to take care of, uh, take care of people and grow. And we, you know, we're able to start some things that we were difficult at a school, some kind of a growth track model of discipleship and some extra things that we're doing, uh, around the building. And, and it's been great, but, but Jared, I want to just, I want to speak to this. If people, I've, I've heard the podcast and it seems like everything's up and to the right. And it seems like success begets <laughs> success begets success. And I want to, I want to put that at ease. Um, I said it tripled our expenses. We started a, a, a capital campaign of sorts uh, to help their renovations that needed to be done from day one that we had to do. Um, and we knew it was going to triple our expenses. And we also knew we were probably going to grow pretty quick. Uh, but the thing about reaching unchurched and de-churched people, the last thing that gets saved is their pocketbook. So we knew mm-hmm. our giving probably wasn't going to increase quite as much. We knew that our giving had to increase by about, about 30% is what we needed to see. And so we set aside uh, about, about $60,000 and said, this is going to be the buffer between what we bring in naturally and what all of our expenses are. And we figured it should last us to about this summer. And uh, I showed it to the board and we, we were accurate on our expense side, but on our income line, we didn't predict, you know, this massive growth. We just kind of said, this would be normal, hoping it will change. And uh, at the end of the year, there was a deficit and in about, July, we kind of ran out of money because, again, we didn't want to just be overly optimistic. We just want to say, here's when that buffer runs out. And they approved the budget. And I said, hey, guys, we need to realize what you're approving right now. We're, we're basically the American government saying we're going to go in the hole and we plan on it this year. So 
we have to realize what that means. And we believe that, you know, we'd do everything and God would show up and, you know, those, the income would increase and we wouldn't go in the hole. Um, but we had to realize it's what it looked like. And Jared, in giving has increased, but not by 30%. It's increased by about 10. Again, it looks like, you know, by some measures of success that were successful, if our giving doesn't increase between now and July, we won't make it. Wow. Quite literally, I don't know in July how we can pay rent, utilities, and staff. Uh, and we don't have a whole lot of staff. We it, It's pretty bare bones, and they're not making much. Um, but we can't. Like something has to change. So, so you talk about faith early on to plant the church and you need a ton and you have to risk. And, and I love, I love new, I love change. I love risk. Um, and it's hard then, but it's hard here now. Like I, we have a spending freeze. We cut some things out of the budget and we're meeting with our board to say, this is where we're at and something's got to give. And we're trusting that God, we can't fix it anymore on the expense side. It has to be fixed on the income side. And all the things I've talked to a pastor of a church of 40,000 and he was like, you need to do this. You need to do that. It's all stuff we've done. And so as much as this was a step of faith, it was, but it, it's not faith. If it's a gimme, if you know, it's going to happen, mm. there has to be risk. And, and we're looking at the other side of that going, it may not happen. It, it, or, you know, it's, I, I remember Shadrach, Meshach and Bindigo and they're going in the fire and they say, God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. And we knew, we think God's going to provide, but you know what, even if he doesn't, so be it. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll do whatever we got to do. We'll, you know, we'll keep going. So, so there's been risk and failure and all of that. stuff, And it doesn't stop just because we got in the building. Wow. In fact, it kind of ups the ante a little bit. Now there's more people. There's more, I got somebody with a young kid looking for a house right now on our staff um, that I'm trying to figure out. I hope I can pay them in July. So it's, it's still a struggle, man. Wow. man! I appreciate you just being so open and vulnerable. And just to clarify, the phone actually dipped just a little bit. You said you were looking for giving to increase by 30%, but it only increased by 10%. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. It went up by about 10% so far. And, uh, we, we needed to go up that little bit more. We probably, we cut our expenses a little bit more, so it doesn't need to go up quite 30% anymore. Uh, but it, we still probably have about 10% to go. We need to make up, uh, just put a number on it. And just being real honest with you, man, uh, we needed to go up by probably between five to 10,000 a month is wow. what we needed to go up by. Wow. So it's, it's significant, man. It's, it's significant, but at the same time, same time, when you think about if, if people in church just would be regular givers, they don't even have to be percentage givers. Um, they don't even have to be tithers giving 10%. If they're just regular giving, it doesn't take, it's a handful of families. Um, you know, 10, 15 families got on board and started giving regularly. It, we're fine. You know, it's, it's not a problem at all. Yeah. So it's some of the uniquenesses of us, we, we have a young demographic. Our average age is probably 34. Um, you know, it's a lot of, there's, we have several college students, young families, um, and people that are unchurched and dechurched. So it's just, it's all the challenges that come along with that. We pray for that. We didn't want to just reach a, a bunch of church people. Um, but there's unintended consequences of that too, that if you reach non-church people, you'll, you'll reach unchurched people. <laughs> right, right. 
Man, well, Dan, I, I appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing, uh, being so open and so vulnerable and um, just super transparent and sharing with everybody here so many great things like getting involved in your community and like keeping that a priority in addition to reaching out and locking arms with the other churches in your community. Uh, so these are all just amazing, amazing things. And Dan, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's going to be the best way to go about that? Yeah, on all social platforms, it's just Dan Matlock, M-A-T-L-O-C-K. Um, email is just dan at iconchurch, and that's E-I-K-O-N, church.com. And uh, those would be great ways to get a hold of me. Perfect. And of course, folks, we'll link to all of that over in the show notes. You can go to leadershippodcast.com and check out all the information there. Once again, man, Dan, thanks so much for coming on. It was uh, just an absolute amazing conversation. Thank you so much, Jared. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been great knowing you for for years and decades, and I appreciate this opportunity on there. And if there's any other any pastors out there uh, that are looking for team members, if I take this thing come July, I'll send you an application. So uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much. Can we get real for a second? Can we just get real? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Podcast. We truly, truly appreciate it from the soles of our feet to the tips of our heads. Tops of our heads is what I meant to say. Uh, but seriously, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this episode is brought to you by creativesheep.org. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us online at creative underscore sheep. That is our internet handle. So look us up, connect with us. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. Jared, do you have any final closing words, closing thoughts? Nope. Just want to thank you from the tips of our heads, everybody, <laughs> for listening. Keep the candle burning. <laughs> Keep the candle burning. Ah, yeah. And we'll see you all next week. And until then, keep the candle burning, guys. Yeah.